Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. It's the day before Halloween. Tomorrow is Halloween, and I find uh, Halloween a very divisive time, a time that no one really agrees how to kind of approach it. Even in your own household, you probably find this. We're noticing this. My two teenage kids are both sort of edging out of Halloween. But if you were at the Valley location this weekend and you saw a hot dog walking with a cape on, that is my son with whom I am well pleased. So uh, Halloween in our house is complicated. But I find that Halloween to be complicated in every community. You go to some neighborhoods like mine, people are over the top with it. You go to others and it seems like they're not even aware that it's a day. And I find even more so inside the church, there is a lot of variety in how we approach this time we call Halloween. You have some churches and some Christians that just go full send into Halloween where they just do all the Halloween stuff. They got cauldrons on their front yard and bats and witches and all the weird stuff. And then you have some Christians and churches that they don't want to do full send, so they do like Halloween lights, so they'll do like Hallelujah Night, not Halloween, or they'll do Fall Festival or Trunk or Treat. We've done that in the past. And then you have some churches and some Christians that just go full rejection mode. And like if Harry Potter comes up on your doorstep, you are rebuking that wizard, get off my lawn. And you're out squirting the corners of your property with canola oil and claiming Christ on your acre of land. <laughs> A wide variety of approaches on Halloween, I find. And I'm having some fun today with these extremes, but there is some tension in this conversation surrounding Halloween that I think gives us a bit of a picture into a deeper tension that we would be smart to talk about once in a while. And that is the conversation surrounding powers and principalities of darkness and the reality of evil in this world. And whether or not you are a person that is handing out Bible tracts and squirting little witches off of your lawn or if you're a person that's going full send and you are just diving in all the way to Halloween, I think it's worth talking about this conversation surrounding darkness and evil and how it relates to our lives. Now, we are in a series where we're working through the Gospel of Matthew. And interestingly enough, today's text is going to be a great launching point into this conversation surrounding the demonic, the devil, powers of darkness. And we have seen so far in Matthew's gospel that his purpose is ultimately to get you to see Jesus for who he really is. That he's not just some mere carpenter who historically lived in Nazareth, but in fact, he is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. He's the true Adam. He's the true Abraham. He's the true Moses. He's the true king in the line of David. He is the Messiah that the Old Testament talks about. And that's Matthew's purpose, to try to get you to see Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords and the one, the only one who can save you and give you true and everlasting life. Can I get an amen? This is Matthew's purpose. And we've been seeing, as we've been journeying through the Gospel of Matthew, 
week in and week out and chapter by chapter that you're starting to see the life of Jesus unfold. We saw his we saw his genealogy. We're going to look, go back to Matthew chapter 2 here in a few weeks and look at his birth. But immediately you saw him go into the wilderness after being affirmed as the son of God. And he's tested by the devil. He passes the test. And then he comes back and he starts teaching. And then you start to see his ministry unfold. And that's what we've been looking at these chapters 7 and 8, or chapter 8 particularly. And we're starting to see different parts of his ministry happen. And today... We come to what is just a, a scriptural coincidence, maybe not, where on the eve of Halloween, we're seeing an encounter with the demonic. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8, now that I have your attention. It says this, that when Jesus arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, remember last week, Pastor Bradford, Pastor Seth did an incredible job looking at the storm that Jesus calmed at his word. It says, when he got to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs and met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Jesus said to them, go. So they came out and they went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Uh, my, my parents who are here, my Uncle Don, they just saw this region uh, just last week on a, on a tour of Israel. This is a real place and this is, this is a real event that happened. Verse 33 says, those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Now let's just take a few minutes today, and let's look at this story for some insight into the unseen world of powers and principalities of darkness. Now, one of the reasons I love preaching through the Gospels of Matthew is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the Gospels are presented to us in story form. And so as a preacher, it's really enjoyable, quite frankly, to dive into the story and find ourselves in that grand story. But today, I think it would be wise for us to kind of step out of the narrative and to approach this topically. Because what I don't want you to do is to leave here and think this story is just a story and it's a metaphor and it's not really that real. I think we would be wise, given the context we live in here in the West, to talk about what's going on here, specifically as it relates to demons and the, this exchange between Jesus and the powers of darkness. So I want to ask a couple questions today, if you're with me. I want to ask this. What did Jesus believe when it came to the powers and principalities of darkness, to demons, to Satan, heaven and hell? What did Jesus believe and what should our response be in light of that? What did Jesus believe and what, did, what should our response be? So let's dive right in. Are, are we good? Are you good to talk about this for a few minutes? I promise if you stay to the end, you're going to leave here hopefully aware of reality, not afraid of the enemy and confident in Jesus as Savior. Let's dive right in, though. What did Jesus believe? Here's the first thing. Write this down. This is a message you should take notes. I'm, I'm trying to frame things in for you. But here's ultimately what Jesus believed when it came to the powers and principalities of darkness, to the angels and demons and the devil. 
Jesus believed in the reality of the powers of darkness and he took them seriously. Jesus believed in the reality of the powers of darkness and he took them seriously. In this encounter with Matthew chapter eight, we see a real encounter of power happening and unfolding where Jesus had been come across, had come across this, this lake, had calmed the storm, and then we find this interchange between two demon-possessed men and Jesus. And we have to come to grips with what's actually going on here, and Matthew wants us to wrestle with this reality. And it's important to note the sequence of events. There's a real revelation or unveiling happening in Matthew chapter 8. If you go back to the start of Matthew chapter 8, what did we see Jesus do? He healed a man with leprosy. If you go back and watch that message, I did it a number of weeks ago, you will find the story of a man with leprosy. And we found out that leprosy is the picture of sin. It's the picture of the flesh. And Jesus healed the flesh. And then we find Jesus goes a little further and we see him not just heal a man with leprosy, but we find he calms this storm. Who is this man that calms even the wind and the waves at his word? And now we see Jesus dealing with demons. And it's really important to note that Matthew 8 shows you and I what forces are working against our life and vitality at any given time. The Bible basically puts it in three categories. There are three things right now working against your life according to the Bible. The flesh, that's your, your nature, your sinful nature, pictured in leprosy. We'll see it more in Matthew as we go on. The flesh, the world. How many of you know there are forces in this world like just there are hurricanes and storms and waves and earthquakes and pestilence and famine. There, there is forces in this world that are at work against you, but it goes further than that. The, the rabbit hole goes deeper. It's not just the problems about you, the problems around you, but there's actually, according to the scripture, there's the flesh, the world, and the devil. Those are the three enemies of your soul and your vitality that are constantly at work against you. And here in Matthew 8, we find this encounter after Jesus calms the storm and crosses the sea, we find him dealing with the forces of darkness and chaos. And we have to come to grips with, what, with the simple fact that Jesus believed in demons. Jesus believed in the devil. Now, am I stating the obvious? Why am I going out of my way stating something that is so obvious but I, I want to press in on the fact that Jesus believed in the devil and Jesus believed in hell and Jesus believed in demons because I have noticed in myself and I have noticed in us as believers, there is a real propensity in all of us to kind of get subtly drawn into this arrogant modern Western mentality when we think about Jesus. That sometimes we can view Jesus, we can believe in him, but we can subtly start to look at him through this lens of, oh, well, he was in first century Palestine and he didn't have the science and technology and he wasn't quite as evolved as we are. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I catch myself thinking like I'm smarter than Jesus. Anybody? Or am I the only honest person in church? Especially those of us who grew up in the modern, like the 
present-day Western society, it is very easy to have more confidence in the collective intellect of humanity than Jesus Christ, Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords. And it actually confronts the modern mind to say that Jesus believed in demons and Jesus believed in the devil and Jesus believed in hell. You have got to reckon with that reality that if you take Jesus seriously, you have to take seriously what Jesus took seriously. Can I say that again? If you take Jesus seriously, you have to take seriously what Jesus took seriously. And you can't say that I believe Jesus is Lord of the universe and not take seriously the fact that here he is talking to demons. What do you do with that? It forces you to either deal with the reality of, I either believe Jesus is who he says he is and he's smarter than me and he knows some things I don't know or I'm dismissing the whole thing. This was C.S. Lewis's point in Mere Christianity where he said, look, you can't just take bits and pieces of Jesus and sort of hold him out here as a great moral teacher but not take seriously what he actually said. He said, C.S. Lewis said of Jesus, anybody who says the types of things that Jesus said is either a complete lunatic, liar, or they are who they say they are. But you can't dumb down what he says and to just sort of take bite-sized, tweet-sized parts of what he has already said. So you've got to take seriously what Jesus took seriously. And you've got to deal with the reality of, do I believe what Jesus believed? And now you and I, we've grown up, we've grown up most of us who grew up here in Canada or in the United States, we grew up in a context that doesn't take super seriously the reality of the demonic. And the Bible would actually tell you that that's actually the work of the demonic to convince us that they're not even really there at work on us at all. It says in uh, the book of Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Paul said this. He said, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So the Bible would actually say not only is there demonic powers, but they are at work to convince you that they aren't even there. And it actually hinders your ability to get clarity on the gospel. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever wondered, like those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, have you ever encountered somebody who had such a twisted version of the gospel and you wonder, how did they ever come to that conclusion? Like, how did you twist this message of grace into works? I think about that all the time when people come only for Easter. And they come only for Easter and they come like out of some religious thing to get God off their back. And the irony is that the whole message of Easter is that God dealt with the problem of sin and separation. And that if you really believe the gospel, you would realize that he's not on your back, that he actually laid his life down for you. So the question is, how do people get so twisted with the truth? Well, well here's how. The God of this age is working to blind the minds of unbelievers. If you ever look around the world, not just as it relates to the gospel, but you look at the confusion and the division and the vitriol and the seeming contradictions that we live with every single day. Like, has anybody just zoomed out recently and said, so what is it? Do we believe in science or not? Has anybody thought that lately? Like, is science authoritative? Because we, we, we seem to be rejecting biology these days. Do I need to get canceled? Do I got to go all the way down the road? Do you understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, okay, so do what the contradictions that we actually live with and what the Bible would say is this is evidence of the reality 
of the demonic. This is the work of the enemy to blind and confuse and deceive and ultimately destroy. So I want to just take a second. Let me just like put on display for you the biblical framework of the universe. Can I do that? Are you with me here at the Valley, St. Stephen, Charlottetown, West, Halifax? I know this is like, actually, this is, this is interesting stuff, but it's also super important that we get it. So here is, in a nutshell, the, the worldview that the Bible would give you. It tells us that everything that it has been created was created by God. That God is actually outside of the framework, and the picture that he put together is, is his picture. And it tells us that in the beginning, uh, God, God's three in one, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You actually see evidence of them right in Genesis. Let us make man in our image. It says, God created the heavens and the earth and the cosmos. And that there wasn't actually any separation between the heavens and the earth. There were these two intersecting realities. You saw God moving freely with humans even in Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 3. And we find, we aren't told a whole lot, but we were told in Genesis 1 that God made human beings as the, the top tier of his created order that have authority over nature. And we, we also find out as we read our Bible that God made angels. These are, these are angelic, heavenly beings. We aren't told a whole lot about angels, and we, we don't know, and I guess we're not going to find out until, until later, but we know, we know that there's different types of angels. There's the archangels. Sorry about my writing. Archangels. So that says archangels. There's archangels. We, we know about three of them particularly. There's Michael... Gabriel and Lucifer. And we know that there are things called seraphs and there are uh, cherubim, but we really, cherubim. <laughs> I should have wrote all this out beforehand. I'm just having that realization right now. Um, this is what we know about the angelic realm and then we're, we're told this, that sometime before our story began to unfold, that Lucifer rose up against God and desired to have God's glory. We aren't told how it went down. We aren't told what exactly happened. All the Bible tells us is that the origin story of this cosmic battle that you and I live in happened because this archangel Started, started really preferring himself to the one true God. And then God obviously wasn't putting up with that and cast him out of heaven. And we are told that Lucifer, Satan, the devil, has free reign on earth and has. And what happened in our story is he got into our story and caused us to worship the created and not the creator. And what happened there is it brought separation between the heavens and the earth. The story of the gospel is that through Christ, he is bringing back all things together. But this is, in effect, the reality that you and I live in. And the Bible tells us that Lucifer and one-third, one-third of the angels fell with him. And that those powers are demons, powers, and principalities. This is all we know. And we don't really need to know much more than that because I'm going to get to the point here in a minute 
But ultimately, if you want to have a biblical framework and if you want to have the worldview that Jesus operated in and you want to take seriously what Jesus took seriously, this is how he would have seen the world. Not in this hot mess of handwriting, but that there is a heaven and there is an earth and the heavens and the earth and God created it all and that there was a giant coup led by Lucifer and he was cast to the earth and he subsequently deceived humanity into worshiping the creator and at which point... The, the all of creation fell into futility and Jesus began the redemption story. So this is the worldview that we live in. You got it? Is, is it clearer than my writing? Does, do my words make sense? Okay. So this is what Jesus was operating in when he had this encounter. So given this, how should our response be when it comes to the reality of the powers of darkness? Well, we should be aware of the powers of darkness and we should take them seriously. We should be aware of the powers of darkness and we should take them very seriously. This is the thing behind the thing. And a believer should have a framework and a a lens for the world on that says, there's more going on here than flesh and blood, but there are things behind these things that are causing conflict and confusion and division and degradation and dehumanization. There's actual forces that are working to destroy all that God made and all that God loves. Does that make sense? Ephesians, uh, Paul said it like this, that our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, that the origin of the struggle of life is not in the material. It's actually spiritual. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in heavenly realms. This is the reality that we are living in, and this is the picture that Matthew 8 starts to tell. The the veil gets pulled back. You see the enemy of the flesh, the enemy of the world, and now the enemy of demonic powers, and Jesus has this confrontation with evil. Now, we live in a time that not only, at least here in the West, we live in a time and a place that not only dismisses the reality of demonic spiritual powers, but we don't even like to call evil, evil anymore. Have you noticed this? We live in a time that tries to label and psychoanalyze evil behavior to the point where we don't like to talk about things being objectively true, objectively wrong or right, evil or good. We don't like these words. And it's causing a major effect in our society. There was a psychologist named Andrew Delbanco, who in the 1990s wrote a book. This guy was an atheist. I don't know what he is anymore, but at the time he wrote this, he was an atheist, noting that as civilization was losing a framework of good and evil, specifically the reality of Satan and demons, we were degrading in our lifestyle and our morality. And he said this in his book called The Death of Satan. He said, a gulf has opened in our culture between a visible evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. We have jettisoned in the West the idea of cosmic evil. In fact, we don't like to use the word evil because it implies judgments and moral absolutes. So we use medical terms like dysfunction and pathology. But as the 20th century has gone on, it has gotten harder and harder to say that holocausts and ethnic cleansing and serial killing is just bad psychological and sociological adjustment. 
This was in the 90s. This was 30 years ago he wrote this. And now we are still in a time where we are careening down the road where we will no longer call evil. And I believe this is ultimately a ploy of the devil to conceal himself. Uh, in the book, The Screwtape Letters, I can't recommend it enough by C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's a great book. It's an allegory where this senior demon is coaching his young protege who happens to be his nephew on how to destroy the life of this one man. And in it, he gets some coaching because this man had discovered Christ and now he's waking up to this spiritual reality. And look what the, the senior demon says to his young protege. He says, our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. I do not think you'll have much difficulty keeping your patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights to persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it's an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. See, the enemy will try to bring us to a place where we will so caricaturize his reality that we can't believe in that. And this is a grave mistake. And the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, shows us front and center two men who are demon-possessed. Now, what do we mean by demon-possessed? Again, Hollywood has done you no favors. The word demon-possessed here is better translated demonized. When you read demon-possessed, you immediately, you immediately picture, what's that, what's that movie the, with the girl with the head spinning? I never watched it, but you immediately, you immediately picture, someone help me, what's that movie? No one's judging you. Yes, thank you. The Exorcist, my sister, in with The Exorcist, great. Great. I didn't watch it. I wasn't allowed. My mom's there. She's like, not in my house. She had the squirt bottle, everything. <laughs> no, we immediately picture the exorcist and like, well, I'm not that. My head's not spinning. I'm not possessed. And again, we dismiss it as a caricature. But the gospels use the word demonized. And demonized is a better word because it, it connotes a spectrum of influence. The reality is, and here's the hard truth, and you need to hear this this morning, and don't, don't let your fear rise up because we're going to get to why you should not be afraid. But the reality is every single one of us who live on planet Earth are under the constant influence of the demonic. All of us. Can believers be, be, be possessed? Well, you should be possessed by the Spirit of God. However, you do have demonic powers pushing against you and influencing you. And so these men had been so influenced in their lives by demonic powers that they had lost control of their own faculties and they were now a, a risk of violence to themselves and to others. And so the, the, the community put them up in the caves, in the tombs, in the caves. But it's important that you understand that we are constantly being bombarded by demonic pressure all the time. And the next time you have this flare-up of temptation or fear or accusation or you're in a moment where you start to see somebody as less than human, it might be a symbol or a sign to you to, to know that there might be powers at work here that are deeper than just the world and the flesh. The enemy is real and he is pushing against us at all times. 
And so you and I have got to be aware of that. Have you ever noticed in a, in a, like maybe in a crowd how quickly like it can turn sideways? Did anybody see the tragedy that happened in Seoul, Korea? There was a giant like stampede of people, 150, 175 people died in a crowd because of just crushing. What is that? Well, there's, there's spirits at work. But this is the reality. You and I can be influenced. But here's something else that's really important to see before we get to the good news and why you don't need to be afraid. It's really important to know this, that you can and are constantly being pushed and pressed and prodded by the enemy and by demons. But not just you, but entire regions are under the influence of the demonic. Very important that you understand that. And this is what jumped out at me when I read this this week. It's not just these two demon-possessed men who get deliverance here in a second. But in fact, the whole town are so interwoven with darkness. What happens when Jesus shows up? They asked him to leave. Why? Well, one, because he's affecting their economy. These pigs, hundreds of pigs ran off. This is a farmer's whole stock. But they're seeing that this Jesus, this light is bad business. Please leave. The whole region was so interwoven and so affected by darkness, they'd grown so comfortable in living in the dark that the moment the light shone in their midst, they said, turn it off. Go away. There's a couple things worth noting here. That entire regions can be and are often affected by powers and principalities. I don't know all about it. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot other than we've seen evidence in the Bible. Like you talk about Daniel, when Daniel's fasting and the, the angel Gabriel or Michael comes to him, it says that he was warring in the heavenlies to get to him, that there was the prince of, the, the prince of Persia, this demonic power that oversaw that region. There are regional powers and authorities that are at work. Are there regional powers and authorities in Atlantic Canada? Yes, there are. And I don't want to dive too deep into psychoanalyzing, but I can spiritually say that Atlantic Canada has some serious bondage in the area of like scarcity mentality, an orphan spirit, a poverty spirit, where we are constantly pulled back into cr critical attitudes, not enough mentality, nothing good ever happens here, woe is me, poor me. Have you noticed that? There's powers and principalities at work, and they run deep, and they're old. And so you and I, as the Church of Jesus Christ, has got to become aware of that. I was just having a conversation with a couple of our Halifax friends uh, last weekend. We were talking about just the strongholds that exist in Atlantic Canada. And specifically, I was talking about how difficult it's been in PEI. God bless you to our PEI community and to Pastor John and Lisa. That is extra tough soil there. You want to know why? Because the foundations of this nation were built there. And there were prayers prayed right from day one over Canada that said that God would have dominion from sea to sea. You want to believe the devil isn't just going to lay by while that happens. There are powers and principalities at work around us, and we have got to be aware of it. So now that I've got you open to the idea of the demonic, some of you are like, oh, crap. <laughs> 
I was blissfully unaware, and now that's a little scary. And there's this reality unfolding, and it's, there's more than meets the eye going on. And there's, there's not just my decisions, and, and life's not neutral, but there are forces out to get me. That is absolutely true. But let me just help you really quick. I'm going to be done in a second. But to beware of two demonic ditches. Ditch A is the one that you and I who grew up in the West. Now, if you talk to some of our friends that came from Africa or they came from Southeast Asia or even South America, there's a different worldview they grew up in where the spiritual things is not quite as foreign or downplayed as it is in the West. But most of us who grew up in the West will easily fall into the ditch of ignorance, and demonic dismissal, oh, that's silly. I can't believe in red pitchforks and tails either, right? That's where we go. But if the devil can't convince you that he doesn't exist, the ditch he tries to pull you into is not ignorance, but idolatry. He wants to so grab your focus and so draw your fear that you can't help but think about anything else. And so it's one of these two ditches that he will pull you into. And this is what uh, C.S. Lewis said. He wrote it in the foreword or the afterword of the screw tape letters where he was talking about just the reality of spiritual, spiritual powers and principalities. And he said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So it becomes your new area of focus. And let me just start to, start to wrap up with this. Uh, when I was 14 years old, I had, uh, won't get into a ton of detail, but I'll just say my ignorant bubble of the world was burst through a demonic encounter. And all of a sudden, I realized that there is a devil and there are demons, and I had an experience that convinced me of that through and through. And what happened was in that moment, it opened up a terror in my heart and in my mind that I lived with for the next seven years uh, in, frankly, escalating value. Um, what I would say is a root of fear took hold in my mind and in my heart to the point where I had multiple demonic encounters and multiple just night terrors were a constant thing that I dealt with. I was afraid to even sleep on my back because I was scared of what I would wake up and see. Uh, to this day, I can't sleep on my back, not because I'm afraid, but because I literally learned how to sleep like this. Um, it was absolutely debilitating. I did not sleep a whole lot. I was a terrible sleeper. My, my mother can testify to that. And uh, I just had this growing and crippling fear of the demonic. I believed in the demonic to my peril. Um, and by the time I was 21 years old and I started to hear the call of God on my life and I went to Kingswood University and it was there that I, uh, seven years into this constant battle of fear with the devil and demons, uh, it was there at Kingswood that I saw Jesus and encountered Jesus uh, for the first time in my life where it was real for me. Uh, I am grateful to have grown up in a Christian context. I believe my parents and my home church put all the kindling around me so that the fire of God could take root. And you parents who have your kids here, have your kids in church because that gives them their best chance. But you can't light the fire for them. And so I, this was my time when I was 21 years old where like Jesus became real. 
And what subsequently began to happen was, as Jesus became greater to me, my fear of the enemy began to dissipate. And I had this realization that the devil wanted me to only think about part of the picture. If he can't keep you ignorant to the whole picture, go back to the framework, what he'll do is he'll want to reveal just part of the picture where you'll only see that there are demons and powers and principalities to the point where you live your life in fear. But what Jesus wants to do is to come and unveil the whole picture and to see him as supreme and to see him as above all powers and rulers and authorities. I started to read the scripture like in, a, in Colossians 1 where it says that he is the image of the invisible God that for him and by him all things were made. And I started to do the math to think that if Jesus made all things, then him and Satan aren't on even field. And the Lord started to do a work in my life that as he revealed Christ, as Christ was revealed to me in my heart and my mind as his presence and love and power and person became more real to me, my fear started falling away. And I'll stand here today and say, I respect the devil's power, but I'm not afraid of the enemy at all. And that is because, not because I stand in my own power and swagger, it's because I have learned that Jesus is real. And I had this realization somewhere in 21, 22, where it's like, okay, if the devil's real and that part of the story's true, then so is the Jesus part. And I began to have faith in Jesus rise up that started to set me free from fear. And this is really what I wanted to get us to today. How should we respond to the enemy, to the, to the reality of the powers of darkness? Here it is. Jesus is the only one who has authority over all of the powers of darkness, and he offers us freedom and victory in him. The devil is real. So is Jesus. The devil has power. Jesus has more. And it's not close. It's not close. Look, look what happened. I, just, I, I find this story fairly anticlimactic in that you know, if Hollywood was telling this story, Jesus and the devil would battle it out like Iron Man and Thanos. And it would go down to the 11th hour and you don't know who's going to win. And that's all great for, for Hollywood. But here's what happened according to Matthew. These two demon-possessed men come before Jesus and then Jesus does this crazy battle. Look what happens. He says, Go. And watch what happened next. They went. <laughs> That's it. Now, for you and I, demons, powers, principalities of darkness are no laughing matter. But compared to Jesus, you're right to chuckle. They are not the same. This isn't some even fight. The, the, the devil and the powers of darkness is great, but Jesus is greater. And that's what this is beginning to show us. And we're going to see, even as the story in the Gospel of Matthew proceeds, Jesus has complete and utter authority. He didn't need to dance. He didn't need to do a seance. He didn't need to roll up his sleeves and put up his dukes. He just said, go. And at the word of his power, demons had to obey. And this is the reality that you need to see today. A couple points to ponder couple points to ponder. Jesus has complete authority over the devil and demons and powers and principalities. Complete authority. And he came 
in order to destroy their power over you and I, to set us free. Look what John says. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. You're bound up in it because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He tries to draw all of us into that dysfunction. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Hallelujah. God did not leave us as victims. Colossians 2 says, this is the gospel, that Jesus canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. If I have more time, I get into some of that. What does the devil have on us? Well, he's holding us accountable for our legal indebtedness, not to him, but to God. The devil is the accuser, and he's accusing us of that which we are guilty of, sin, and falling short of the glory of God, correct? But what Jesus did on the cross was offer himself, pay our debt in our place, and so he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which, which stood against us and condemned us. That Jesus took it away, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. He absorbed anything that the devil had authoritatively over human beings. When we come to Jesus, he has already taken that off of us. So this is why we need to have hope today that Jesus has complete authority. And here's the second thing I would say. Freedom is our choice. Freedom is our choice. It's available to us through what Jesus accomplished for us. These demonized men came to Jesus and they were set free immediately. But the town pushed him away. And it's, it's up to you and I as to whether or not we wanna walk in freedom, free of fear, free of the authority of the enemy. Does that mean the devil's just gonna give up on you? Oh no, he's gonna keep coming, but you don't have to fall prey. You don't have to be a victim. And the Bible tells us we've been given weapons to fight back. We've been given armor that protects us and we get to walk in Jesus's victory and authority. But whether we do that or not is up to us. So really quick in closing, three tips for those of you who want to walk in Christ's victory. Just be forewarned though. If you invite Jesus in to be supreme in your life, he will start to disrupt the darkness. And you may be surprised at how comfortable you have gotten with certain parts and elements of the darkness. Has anybody ever had that experience? Jesus is a disruptor of darkness. And he will come in and he truly will eradicate it. Here's a few things to think about as you're wanting to walk in victory over the enemy. First, learn the power of your decision. Uh, at the end of the day and at the heart of this, there is a battle for worship. There's a battle for worship. Jesus said you can only serve one master, either God or mammon or God or the, or the devil. You can't serve both. And that's where the heart of the battle was for me. I made a decision in my 20s that I am going to believe Jesus is who he says he is. And if he is who he says he is, him and the devil can't both be king. So learn the power of making a decision to serve one master. Invite the victory of Jesus to be decisive in your life. Learn the power of your decision. Number two, learn the power of your discipline. Part of learning to grow and walk in victory is learning how to abide in Christ. How to actually see the, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit grow in and through you. And so, when the Holy Spirit has room to operate in your life, you are operating in freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is there's freedom. 
So our job becomes learning to invite more of the Holy Spirit to take up residence in our lives. And so we do this through the disciplines. Why do I come to church? More of the Holy Spirit. Why do I read my Bible and pray every day? To learn to abide in Christ. Why do I seek to be obedient? To abide in Christ. The more that you do that, the more you are able to operate and move in conjunction with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. The Holy Spirit will fill you, and here's, here's what will happen. The enemy doesn't like the Holy Spirit. He flees. They aren't both going to share a house. Jesus talked about that, the strong man. Go look at that, that metaphor, that parable. He talks about how I will come and I will remove the enemy and I will fill the house with my presence. Learn the power of your discipline, of walking the spirit-filled life. And then finally this, and this is just a pro tip in a pinch. Learn the power of your declaration. Did you know that just saying the name Jesus out loud makes demons tremble and flee? Like the word of God is actual power. Actual power. When attacks come and temptation comes, God has given you a weapon. You aren't weaponless. You have a weapon, the word of God. I have learned this in my own life. I've learned this in my own home. There's been times where I've just sensed that something's off or maybe the enemy's swirling around or something, something's going on and I'll just crank on the worship music and I'll start to pray out loud and I'll start to say the name of Jesus. Why? Because when Jesus' name is worshiped and when his, he, his spirit is invited into the atmosphere, demons have to flee. They have to flee. You, your tongue has power to dispel demons just by declaring the praises of Jesus. Let me, let me just make sure none of you leave here set up to get your butt kicked. Um, you versus demonic powers is going to go bad for you. It just is. The authority and power we have is only in Christ. So you and I, how we fight, you know, we sing songs like, this is how I fight my battles. It's not just a catchy tune. Literally, when you worship Jesus, it dispels darkness. It uproots strongholds. It breaks chains. It casts out darkness. That's what happens. So learn to put his name on your lips. Learn to memorize scripture. Quote scripture. Say it. Write it in your, on your walls. Put it on your mirror. Yes, absolutely, it's a weapon that expels the enemy. God invites us to walk in victory. Paul says this. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't follow Jesus and be a victim. Can I just say that? You can apply that in a bunch of ways. You can't follow Jesus and be a victim. You can walk in his victory. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. I'm going to pray three things over us, all of our locations and online. I'm going to pray for increased awareness to the schemes of the enemy in your life. There might be things going on in your world that are more than just flesh and blood. God wants you to wake up to that. So I want to pray for awareness, discernment. Amen? I want to pray for confidence in the supremacy of Christ. If you are afraid of the devil, your faith in Christ is insufficient. Can I say that again? 
If you're afraid of the enemy, if you're afraid of demons, if you're afraid of the devil and what he might do, it means your Jesus is too small. Oh man, someone needs to hear that. The, the answer is to not try to ignore the devil. The answer is to adore the Christ. That was very catchy, but the, the, the way you fight is not trying to ignore the devil. It's to try to adore and see Christ as supreme. So I'm going to pray for awareness. I'm going to pray for confidence. I'm going to pray for the ability to resist. Uh, the Bible says, resist the devil, pull back, push back, and what? He will He'll flee. Some of us just, the moment we feel pressure, we just crumble. Push back. Resist the devil and he will flee. So awareness, confidence, and resistance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth. Lord, thank you for just the truth of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you are renewing our minds. Father, today I pray over our community over all the people that are part of King's Church, this family, Lord, I pray for an increased awareness to the schemes of the enemy. Lord, will we not just look around the world and say, oh, it's just flesh and blood and human agents doing their thing, but God, would you give us discernment to know what the enemy might be doing? Give us an awareness and an alertness to the fact that the enemy prowls around like a lion seeking to devour us. God, give us an alertness and an awareness and a discernment not so that we can idolize it and focus in on it, but so that, God, we can uh, just be able to turn our fear and turn all of that into absolute focus in on your supremacy. So I pray today, God, just for an awareness and then a growing confidence in the supremacy of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would increase and we would decrease and the powers and principalities and the, the, the power of hell would decrease in our minds and in our hearts as you take preeminence. Lord, we just say that you are the Christ and that all, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord, even demonic knees. And so God, would you increase? We pray for awareness and confidence and resistance, Lord. Teach us to walk in victory, God. Give us power to push back when tempted, to resist the devil, knowing that you told us he will flee. So, Father, I pray for grace over our church community. Lord, could we and would we walk in greater degrees of freedom? We pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen.